Instagram is excellent for the watch community, but it's actually terrible for watch collecting. But if you're using Instagram as a discovery tool to learn about new watches and brands as opposed to people that like watches, then you run into a lot of problems. People go to Instagram because they believe it's there to teach you things, when in reality, Instagram is just there to reinforce things. And how it works when it comes down to it ends up showing you the same small number of models from the same small number of watch brands over and over again. I think like many places, you need to be very, very sensitive to the fact that you're not being told the whole picture about the watch industry at all. And you need to be very resilient to being influenced by other people's opinions. Greetings and welcome to this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly. We have a full complement of people and a very full complement of watches to talk about this week. Ariel, David, how are you both? Doing well, Rick. How about yourself? Not too shabby, not too shabby, David. Doing great. What have you both been up to this week? Anything exciting so far? Well, it's the summer and we know that means the watch industry is deep, deep in hibernation, quite the opposite <laughs> of everything else. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of it is spending a lot of time going through archival content. You know, we were at shows like Watches of Wonders and Dubai Watch Week. And while I was there and, and other members came to other shows, we take pictures of so much content. I've really been thinking, how many watches over the years that I wanted to write about that I just never got around to? There's got to be hundreds at this point, just, you know, pictures. I have so David have you seen anything exciting this week yeah I just finished photographing four Cuervo Isabrina swatches all in tribute to Ernest Hemingway and I was just getting really strong Key West vibes out of them I, ju I just need a hacienda somewhere you know and just, just chill on the porch of it so yeah I, I really like it give us the official pronunciation of that brand because I struggle with it yeah I think it's Cuervo y I think you got yeah, it Cuervo y Sobrinos probably because uh, <laughs> you know it's not like S but probably something else you need to be drinking rum and smoking a cigar to just properly pronounce just it choking on like yeah exactly on yeah. smoke and then Cuervo y Sobrinos <laughs> <laughs> Cuervo, <laughs> then you take a, a drink and then you sm take a, an inhale and then you say, Sobrinos. Exactly. <laughs> Cuervo. <laughs> ah, so y Sobrinos. <laughs> well, to continue the summer watch discussion and to kick us off with this week's show, I'm actually going to play a short audio clip. And this is from a long-time listener, first-time caller, Jumping Jalapeno, or Omer. Many people will know Omer from the good old hashtag Half-Watch Tuesday. So here is Omer with a little comment on his favourite summer watch and a question about Instagram. Hi, Ariel and Rick. I hope you're both well. I'm enjoying the podcast. With regards to summer watches, one of the best I found over the last two years of searching was the Zin 105 STSAW, a white dialed three-hander with vertical day date and a multifunctional bezel. Really nice watch. It was barely talked about in the media and I happened to help myself to the black dial version. On a separate note, I wondered what the two of you made of the recent murmurings that Instagram was going to increasingly prioritize video over photograph. Given that photographs is what makes it the number one app for the watch community. And I wondered how you thought that would play out or what possible alternatives were. Find your thoughts, keep up the good work and hopefully meet at least one of you very soon. Okay, so first off, good choice for summer watch in that zin. But as we know, Ariel considers all watches to be summer watches. Yes. David, you haven't really been on the show for a discussion. A summer watch, if you had unlimited budget, what would you be buying? Probably a Richard meal with crazy colors. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I like Richard Mille watches because they're light. 
you know, they're, so they're comfortable to wear. Uh, I like those straps because they have those larger vents, especially the older, older uh, rubber straps. So you don't sweat underneath them too much, but the newer flexible straps are really comfortable. So yeah, it's, it's comfort and funky colors and crazy engineering. Yeah, Richard move for me. Only $500,000 for a strap you don't sweat in. Such a bargain. It is a bargain, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how many years could you pay a person just to wander around with you telling you the time? <laughs> or to dry your wrist. Sir, can I dry your wrist again? <laughs> <laughs> And, and the thing is, you could give them lots of additional jobs. Like, for example, you could give them the job as Ariel's uh, assistant. Have you had any applications, Ariel, after last week's stunning well, advert? I rewrote the posting, and over the weekend, I got um, like 240 applications. So, Excellent. So applications close is what we're saying. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it's just, it's funny in the job market how things work, but there's obviously a lot of people that want to be assistants. It's hard. I think what the difficulty is, I don't know myself well enough to know like who would be an ideal helper for me. You know, I've had you know, hits and misses over the years with various different types of helpers. And like, I don't want to screw up again. So I feel like I need you guys and the team members to be like, Ariel, you know who would really be nurturing for you? Someone like this. Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan would be a great <laughs> assistant, I'm sure, until he you killed think, me. You think? <laughs> so uh, we will actually put the advert in the show notes. So if you want to apply for that, then go and look at the show notes to apply for the role of Ariel's assistant. I think to a man, David, we're begging for Ariel to get an assistant. Is that basically the script? And someone who can drive wrists as well. And somebody can dry wrists. So we're adding the ability to dry wrists to the job description. We'll append that in the show notes. Uh, good stuff. Anyway, Omer posed a question basically about Instagram. So we thought we'd have a wee chat about this today because it is actually, I think, particularly important. Now, I would say that if it was not for Instagram, I would 100% not be currently recording a podcast with you guys. And certainly Scottish Watches would never have happened the wind-up merchants would never have happened and this would never have happened and i put it all at the door or the blame maybe i can sue them i put it all at the door of instagram because that was what really awakened me to the fact that there were other weirdos out there that were interested in watches and even though my photography skills are absolutely horrific I didn't need to take photographs to be involved. I could just be involved by looking at other people's and having a chat with them and engaging on their posts and in their DMs and meeting people of a like mind and many of not a like mind, but they were still worth meeting. And that's what dragged me into this. But there are big changes afoot at Instagram, some of which may have been temporarily reversed. But let's focus, first of all, on its importance to the watch community in general. Ariel, I suspect you have an opinion about this. I've spoken a lot about Instagram, and there's both positives and negatives. I would say, in summary, Instagram is excellent for the watch community, but it's actually terrible for watch collecting. And what I mean by that is it's a really good way of meeting other people who are into this, not necessarily the same way you are, or buying the same things you are, but you can find plenty of other people that like watches on Instagram. That is for sure. But if you're using Instagram as a discovery tool to learn about new watches and brands as opposed to people that like watches, then you run into a lot of problems. And I think that's where the issue is. Again, I've spoken about this a lot. I've told people, wait a couple of years after getting into watches before going onto Instagram so you can sort of solidify your tastes and preferences before you sort of meet friends. I think that 
you know, people go to Instagram because they believe it's there to teach you things, when in reality, Instagram is just there to reinforce things. The algorithm and, and how it works when it comes down to it ends up showing you the same small number of models from the same small number of watch brands over and over again, unless you really, really hunt. And the platform doesn't really make that as, as convenient as it may, may uh, have in the past. So I think that Instagram is one of one of a few good tools if you really just want to meet people. But I think like many places, you need to be very, very sensitive to the fact that you're not being told the whole picture about about watch industry at all. And you need to be very resilient to being influenced by other people's opinions. Most people are not professional communicators and don't think very carefully about what they say and don't know how their opinion is going to affect other people. And they, you know, they sort of get rewarded and engagement and points. And, uh, you know, they need to be extra provocative and people don't necessarily have manners and don't act like they're speaking to someone else who's right in front of their face. So I think that Instagram is very much a mature and adult platform if you really consider what it's presenting. And I also think that as people are just getting into watches, they should solo it for a while before communicating with the community. David, how long have you been on Instagram? Oh my goodness. Um, I don't know, Twenty since 2014, 2015, I don't want to lie, but, but but a long time. Back then it was chronological order, so you would, I know it sounds unimaginable today, but you would open the app and you would see posts in the order in which they were posted by the original poster, right? So there was no algorithm, no pay to play like today. So today, even if you have like 10, 4, 30, 40, 50, 100,000 followers, if you post something, the chances of them seeing is basically zero without you paying to actually deliver your content to that audience which you have accumulated over the years with, with through tremendous effort so I, I virtually quit Instagram you know when when the algorithm started happening and I could see that you know the reach was was just butchered I'm, I'm still lingering around and posting a story here and there but I'm not motivated anymore to, to, to be posting just regular posts and on the a blog to watch Instagram, Mario, I assume it was a very early adopter. Was it? Did you get into Instagram via blog to watch before you had your own personal account? By many years, my own personal account basically was a result of the team saying, "Ariel, it looks like you want to say things and do things that are a little bit different than you know what the magazine should be doing. So start your own thing." and I was like, okay, and I, I guess I kind of enjoy it. I mean, look, <laughs> I am a photographic storyteller, right? So I know how to write and I know how to do photography. So Instagram is something which kind of comes easily, at least in its core, like David said, when it was just sort of about sharing images. Instagram has evolved into something very different than that. And again, people, I think it's like 40 something or even maybe up to 60% of teenagers say they get their news from Instagram, which sounds like an awful idea and probably is an awful idea. <laughs> Yep. You know, the reality is that Instagram is way more than, hey, here's this pretty sunset I saw, or look at this cool plant, or, you know, here's my family, I want to share it with the in-laws so I don't have to text it to them one at a time. It doesn't really act like that anymore. So you saw the same trajectory with Facebook. It sort of started this purest way of students keeping in contact and people keeping in contact. And then the advertising side started to really eat away at that. And I've always wondered why Facebook and Instagram don't just implement 
implement a very small monthly fee where you can choose to pay, I don't know, three or four bucks a month, maybe make it five bucks a month for both of them. And you just basically get the experience you want. If you want to see in chronological order, fine. I, I mean, you know, is five bucks a month from hundreds of millions of people like bad profits for a company? I mean, I understand that there's all these exciting things they can do with selling advertising and tracking data and, and people's and what, what they're doing. But I would like to think that the ability for these to return to the utility that people wanted is just by people paying a small amount. We're all paying for subscription services now. I think that would free up Meta from having to decide this very difficult choice of who do I serve, my advertiser interests or my user interests. I don't think they necessarily have to make that decision of people just pay a small amount, even making it an option. Twitter is sort of trying it, but I think that actually Instagram and Facebook are better candidates for a monthly subscription fee than a Twitter ever was. Yeah, I remember when Instagram used to be pictures of food. <laughs> I, have, I can't think of the last time I saw a photograph on Instagram of somebody having taken a picture of their lunch. I mean, that's what it used to be many, many moons ago. So even just in the content and the way people use it, you can see very obviously how it's moved on. Maybe a subscription model would solve a lot of these problems. The kind of Spotify whereby... You can get the full advertising, you know, throw as many adverts at you as you like if you don't subscribe or the subscriber version, which gets rid of all of that and lets you sort everything exactly the way you want it and prioritize the things you want prioritized. Maybe that is a decent model. But let's talk about just briefly as to what's actually changing and what's happened. So Adam Mansouri, who former Facebook high hegens now in charge of Instagram, basically announced that, look guys, videos what works for us we're going to introduce a lot more video basically everyone's like that's because you want to be tiktok they're not denying that i don't think so they implemented this test for full screen so if you open instagram just now you don't see full screen stuff you see your kind of feed that you can scroll down whereas if you open tiktok you're presented with a full screen video so they want to change it to that. They want to increase the number of non-followed accounts. So I think from about 15% to 30%. So the amount of stuff that they decide what you see rather than because you've chosen to view it by following somebody. And then the, the guardians and keepers of the internet, the Kardashians, complained. And then Meta announced that they were rolling back some of these changes, but basically really only announced that they were rolling back some of these changes so they could implement them a lot more slowly and a lot more surreptitiously so that you didn't notice them. They were, they were more going to turn the heat up on the frog that is the user database very, very slowly until we boiled rather than just chucking us in the boiling water yeah. seemed to be the approach that they yeah. were changing to. And my question is that the... You know, watches lend themselves to photography, not video interaction. And if what they are pushing is mainly video, then are we just going to be filled with still images on video or wrist rolls or or something? And you don't really get the quality. Like the whole yeah. idea of a watch is it stationary. You can see the detail. You can see the zoom in. It's just not suitable for a, a video medium in the way that it is for photography. Let me, let me say this. I want to maintain the focus of this conversation on Instagram for watches because I have all kinds of thoughts on it. So thank you for sort of like getting me back to that. I don't, in one way, I don't really care because I know that the watch community is very sensible and we'll just sort of go to another platform and, and things, you know, pop up. I mean, Instagram is obviously trying to say we're not making enough money with the way that things have been going with it being for you guys. So we want to turn into a TV channel where 
we don't have to segment because remember from from a from a technology perspective there's now laws that prevent audiences from being segmented as deeply as they used to be right Instagram could say, okay, you guys are Rolex people and you guys are Audemars Piguet people and you guys are like, you know, I don't know, Seiko people and you're Oris people. And I might have a different message to all of you. But what people haven't been thinking about is that these restrictions on how they can target people break down their ability to do this hyper-targeting. And from a privacy perspective and a consumer perspective, that's a good thing. But it forces Instagram to become a TV channel and say, well, if we can't target ads, everyone's just got to see the same thing. And if everyone's going to see the same thing, we have to have a unified experience like a TV channel. But as you correctly marked, that is not what people want. People are like, well, I, I destroyed my, my subscription TV because I didn't want it anymore. It didn't seem useful. Now you're just turning that. So they will turn away. They will go elsewhere. They will hopefully come back to blog to watch and, and have more of the conversations there. Before Instagram, there was a lot more robust conversations on a blog to watch. And I understand it's more convenient to do some of those on a platform like that. But I think that the community will be fine. And the last thing I'll say on this is let's not forget this interesting phenomenon where so many people have accounts on Instagram that are completely defined by them being watch lovers, right? It's not yeah. like blah, 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 guy from Syracuse and, oh, I like, you know, pottery and wristwatches. It's like, you know, watch guy 77, here's all my Omega. Like, that's their only Instagram account. That defines their experience on the platform. And I think that, that you know, there's going to be a big fallout uh, away from that platform if that type of interesting that sort of tribalism is no longer a part of the Instagram experience. I think that's a very important point, and I don't know to what extent there are other collectibles or niche interests that have created so many dedicated accounts that that's all that's on it. I think watches and maybe luxury goods is quite unique in that a number of people will have two accounts. The account that they post all the family stuff and pictures of their lunch and then the account that they post the watch stuff on. And the watch stuff is actually for an entirely different community and set of followers than their personal Instagram. Whereas if you like cars or fancy boats or mountain climbing or skiing or something, I think people are more inclined to post that kind of stuff also on their personal account and they don't have the skiing account or the fast cars account but for some reason probably because folk were afraid that it was said something about them which it frankly it does say something about us uh, and we should really just own that that we wanted this kind of dedicated account that we could hide from the run-of-the-mill friends, but just have it focused on the friends that understood us, that were into watches, that they knew that us posting a £500,000 Richard meal did not really say what it actually does say about us if we posted that to all of our non-watch friends. So, David, have you, I don't know, have you just got one watch account? Do you, have you seen that change over the years as an early adopter of Instagram that everybody was like, posting collectively and then whoa, 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 we need a watch account for this i will second what ariel said yeah people are just watch nerds and watch enthusiasts and their whole instagram presence revolves around that and not much else so where do we think this takes us i've got a suggestion but where do we think this goes is this going to have a fundamental effect if the changes go through 
on the number of people that engage in the watch community, on new people, because they simply just can't find content. They'll just find something else. They'll, they'll leave Instagram. Look, the community is very bad at having an imagination, but once they lose something, they're very good at not wanting to let go of it, right? So if they're like, wait a minute, Instagram gave us a community, we don't feel like we have it in the same way, then at some point, someone entrepreneurial, uh, us maybe, or someone else, We'll figure out the solution. Look, it's really just a place for watch people to get together and to chat. I mean, frankly, yeah. you could do it on Reddit. There's other free places to do it. The bottom line is that the message is that there's a need out there for community, yeah. you know, an online, you know, digital platform for watch lovers, probably by watch lovers, maybe for other special interest groups that people will be more than happy to pay a small monthly fee just to connect with other people like them, to share this yeah. stuff, to be informed about events and, and not to make it some type of strange, deceptive marketing platform. Don't you think the majority of watch people, if you if you created more sort of like authenticity the experience would be happy to spend three to five bucks for what they want instagram for watches to be yeah i mean if you're spending several thousand dollars on a watch it is odd to think that everyone would object to spending five dollars a month to you know get the information but people do people will say oh no i, I don't mind spending 12 grand on a new rolex but i really object to spending five dollars a month paying for this media or social or whatever that actually gives me all the information that helps me collect the rolex oh yeah we've built business models i've written business models that essentially are this years ago like i've seen it coming for three years ago it wasn't possible instagram was way too strong but now what you're starting to see is cracks in the foundation. People like the commenter, like us in, in the past, are starting to say, is it time to leave Instagram and find something else? Now that people are on top of that, I think what you're going to start to see is sort of entrepreneurial gears working and, you know, there'll be developers, there'll be funding people, they'll hopefully, again, I'd love to be involved because I've already, you know, created uh, alternatives, you know, to Instagram that are better solutions for this. So it's, mm. it's, it's a healthy thing to say that you've outgrived Instagram and it's, it's, it's also very uh, good for everyone to recognize there's a need out there so someone, you know, will, will, will start to work together to build something. Well, two suggestions as we close out this conversation. The first is go to the comment section of a blog to watch. You can post in there to your heart's content. You can also post pictures and videos in the comment section. So come find the show notes to this show and tell us what you think. Share, meet other people that definitively, because they're on a blog to watch, are interested in watches. However, I've got another suggestion. This is something that was recommended, which I've given a try. A few of us from the blog to watch team have tried it. It is still a bit clunky, but if you've ever wanted to be the early adopter of a new technology if you've ever wanted to be the person yes i remember i was involved in instagram when it was but but months old then there is a new app which probably has the life expectancy of clubhouse so probably about six weeks i think clubhouse does still exist i don't know who's on it i think it's mostly people on talking about cryptocurrency which has also got the lifespan of about six weeks but there is an app called be real now, it is, as I say, a bit clunky, but go on and give it a try. Download Be Real, the app. This is not an endorsement or a recommendation, so if it screws up your phone, don't blame me. And try and find some of us from the Blog to Watch team. So you can find me by just searching Rick TikTok, but in order to find us, you need to first post. So that's one thing I have learned. You need to make a post, make a post of a wrist shot. And then once you've done that, try and find me. 
And then when you find me, you'll find everybody else I'm following and I will only be following other people that are posting wrist shots and then you can follow them and then it kind of builds. So you can try that and become like the 10th person that's using Be Real because I think that's about the number of people that are on it just now. It's a non-high professional, so it's, it's, a, it's about being real rather than about everything that is uh, highly quaffured about some Instagram accounts these days. So go give that a try if you fancy it. You can find us and, you know, there'll be something else along just shortly, no doubt, as Ariel says. Now, let's talk about some watches. Tag Heuer unveils the Carrera Red Dial Limited Edition watch. This is the first watch we're talking about this week. I like red watches and there aren't enough red watches about Discuss. Colors are big and they have been big over the last like year, maybe two years in the watch industry. Before that, everything used to be black, white, and maybe maybe blue. Blue was the new black. I remember like three years ago, it was older age. So Rick, your chances are, you know, getting better uh, and better by the day to see more red watches. Uh, speaking of which, I just pulled up a blog to watch.com and I see a watch review on a Parmigiani Tonda GT chronograph with nice dark red subsidiary dials for the chronograph. So that that's pretty cool. Ariel, did you post that while we were talking? Uh, it was. I think it was scheduled by someone else coincidentally. But yeah, it's on topic. We will discuss that then as well. So this is the Parmigiani Tonda GT chronograph penned by Ariel Adams. Myself and David have not had a chance to read it. So Ariel's going to have to lead that discussion. But here's my question. Yes, there's lots and lots of colour in watches. But red strikes me as a very popular colour not to be quite as well represented in the the colour spectrum as, you know, you'll get football strips, the vast majority of them are have got red in them. Is there a reason why red is not quite so popular a colour? I think most collectors would be smart to have at least one watch in some of these colours. It's not that you have to have like a whole collection of red dial watches, but there's something particularly satisfying of being able to match your watch to your clothing. And so I think it's a good idea to have, you know, like one piece in a large variety of colors. And red isn't just red. Blue isn't just blue. The, the shade of blue or the shade of red or the shade of green matters a whole lot. So sort of a bright apple red. Not a lot of guys can get away with wearing that all the time. But this is sort of a more burgundy, uh, you know, sort of claret red, so to say, like a wine color, a deeper sort of maroon I have shirts and pants and shoes that match this. And I was really happy to find a watch that matched those things. And I think it makes sense. So I don't think that people need to jump on board and be like, it's all about red. But it's like, if you don't already have a burgundy watch, here's a good option. If not this one, just get one at some point. So I think that a lot of collectors would be wise to focus less about like all the top watches from the top brands and like think about sizes colors shapes maybe some complications like make it more of a style exercise as opposed to an orological appreciation exercise and i think for a lot of people it becomes more satisfying when it comes to multiple watch ownership i mean we're going to come on to it shortly talking about christopher ward obviously this tag is priced at just under seven thousand dollars so it's not cheap just to get a bit of red in your collection whereas the christopher wars that come in a variety of colors are much much cheaper is this what's driving some of these not smaller brands because christopher ward could hardly be considered a smaller brand now but brands bring out multiple colors at a much more competitive price because they see a market of somebody going and basically buying the collection so they do have one watch of every color 
I mean, look, a lot of it's guesswork, okay? People see that Rolex came out with a bunch of colors in the same year, and they're like, well, they must have thought about it. If it works for them, it'll work for us. (laughs) It's also the fact that people who have like a void in their collection of a green watch will buy one, so it looks like there's a rush on green watches when in reality... There's a hole in a lot of people's collections where they, okay, we got the blue, got the brown maybe. Oh, don't have the green yet. But once they have the green, unless they want to replace it with something else or it's like a vividly different thing or they're really into green, green is actually not a color that men wear that often compared to blue. Blue is much more regularly worn. So I really think that brands would be smartest to go with the colors that are worn more often than not, as opposed just for pure novelty. And it is cool to have a green watch, but I think that people will be okay with like, one or two green watches, whereas I think there's like utility in someone's collection for more blue or black or or silver. So I think a lot of it really just goes down to matching the colors that you wear. David, what do we think actually about this particular watch? It's a limited edition of 600 and it was commented in the comment section, which is where you put your comments. Chaz had produced a headline, industry news, Tag Heuer hired away the marketing genius from Grand Seiko known for his unlimited limited editions for philosophy is tag producing this as a 600 limited edition just a kind of strategy that they're rolling out elsewhere to try and get a bit of kind of momentum behind the fomo of yeah here's a red watch it's quite nice buy it now miss out etc you know i i've been asking retailers over the years about these limited editions and i i'm pretty sure based on what they what they told me um, that it's not tech hoyer who wants to do this but but it's retailers and distributors so they are being pushed because you know customers come in who don't really know watches that well and they do care about limited editions right so they would they would be like oh is this limited no okay then i don't want it but here is one that yeah, is right. and and they associate a certain level of collectability yeah whether that's false or not is a, is, is a completely odd, uh, different dis- discussion because it probably is right i mean 600 is not that rare but it's not that common either so it's just a weird thing i don't understand to be honest why brands don't do more limited production watches glossit original does like annual editions and i think that that's very smart you know because that that gives you uh, the room of an entire year to pick something up maybe a little bit more and they say it's produced for a year uh you know pick it up if you want one you have time you don't have to rush to like a retailer and just you know just do whatever so i feel like that's very smart and also, it, they are not tied to a certain production number. So if Takuya said, oh, this is, this is limited production, people would be like, does that mean 100 or 50 or, 50 or 600 or you know, 5,000? Who knows? But the point is that they could be selling to everyone who wants one and then just be done with it. Is this Takuya a nice watch? Like, is it a good watch for the price? It's a very nice watch. Wide? 80 hours power reserve is a decent movement. It looks like a decent all-round oh, package. I, I, I know people that have this same watch in other colors. It's got the Hoyer O2 movement, which is great. Uh, it's a very sensible size. It's a great look. Do you need one in every color? No. <clears throat> but if you've been waiting for a reason to buy one of the classic-looking Carreras... <laughs> You know, and you like the color red, why not? Again, it's 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 a great watch. Look no further. Do we read anything into the fact that it doesn't have tag on it? It just has Ugh. Hoyer. Who cares? They still make the money when they sell one. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> True fact. That's funny. 
<laughs> the Parmigiani that you've just published. Tell us a little bit about this because this does look like a very nice watch. A Luddite like you could be really into this watch for sure. I could do. This is, yeah. if ever there was a Luddite's watch, it was a $20,000 Parmigiani. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, there's a weird thing here where, I don't know, maybe David has a thought on this. Parmigiani has multiple versions of the Tonda GT chronograph it, it, with two different movements. They both have three registered at a big date. One is an annual calendar and operates at four hertz. And the other one, which is reserved for their higher end pieces drawn gold, is not an annual calendar and it operates at five hertz. And it's a little bit more of a sophisticated. It's actually, I don't know, it just depends what you value in the movement. This is the annual calendar one in steel. It comes on a strap, which I actually like. It's very comfortable. It's got a couple of quirks on here. Beautiful looking case really the case is probably the absolute best thing about this watch it's everything you like about the sort of nice you know fibonacci curve angles that parmigiani is all about little sportiness kind of modernized that gentle texturing so you have that knurling in the bezel but it's very light very subtle same thing with the texture on the dial my only complaint about this watch that honestly wouldn't be a deal breaker because it's really nice is the fact that the hands are so severely skeletonized for seemingly no purpose and I think this watch is just the perfect example for me to say to everyone, why do they need to skeletonize it? I, I just, I, somebody out there, please tell me that these hands are, make an argument these hands are better skeletonized and filled in with a matching black. Just please, please disagree with me. I can't understand it. Sometimes what, what the reason why, uh, you know, at least they say is that so that if it overlaps with a subdial on a chronograph, you can still read. But who cares? No one uses that. They'd rather read, like, out of any time you look at the watch, how often you're reading the time versus the chronograph. It's like a hundred times more often that you're reading the time, right? Well, we know from a previous show that the only people that use chronographs are people that work for IWC. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I agree. This is, this. I think this is actually Parmigiani's Achilles heel is their hands. The normal Tonda doesn't have enough of them because it needs a running second hand. And this one has too little of them as well because those hands need filled in <laughs> with a good with a good lump of loom, some super luminova in that, and you're spot on. I mean, am I right? I'm like, I, how am I wrong? Oh, absolutely. Here? Like, who there was like, no, get rid of the loom, cut the middle out of the hands, do it that way. I do agree with you. I do agree with you. It's also got uh, David. Are you a fan of the? Oh, uh, uh, the the flute, the fluting. This is your thing. You're 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 the you're the bezel man, the the Rolex fluted bezel expert. This is not as spectacular as the fluted bezel on the Rolex. Uh, you know, by now everyone knows that I think nothing is. But <laughs> but uh, <laughs> part of the reason for that is that here they they've done it in platinum, and to do it in platinum is very difficult. And I believe all of these knurlings or flutings are done by hand. So so that's pretty cool. It's 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 a subtle bragging right that oh, but you know my bezel is in platinum. If you care about that. So, so that's what this is about. This year at Watches and Wonders Geneva, we saw the Jeugère Le Coutre Polaris Perpetual Calendar. And this is the first Polaris to genuinely like. And the proportions on the, on the regular Polaris Automatic are just way off to my taste and to my eyes. And so that's why I thought, wow, this looks great. I go into this in more detail in the article, but the point is that it, it's, a, it's a more complicated looking uh, rendition of, of the Polaris. And it's the first one that looks decent, in my opinion at least. But at the same time, it's, it's bleeding expensive and it's just not that good value, right? So it's, that's, that's the interesting thing, uh, is that 
the pricing is just a bit odd uh, and what you're getting for your money is not that great. You look at the case back, for example, and you see the same base automatic movement because obviously everything that goes to create the, the complexity of the Perpetual Calendar is fitted as a module on the dial side of the movement. So from the front, you look at the watch and you're like, wow, this is a complicated watch. And then you flip it around and you're looking at the exact same movement as the guy who only bought the, the three-hand automatic with a tape. I think overall it's a great looking package, it's just nice to look at, which it should be for that kind of money. But at the same time, I also feel like, you know, there's there's just better ways of spending all that money. I do like it, it is a lovely looking watch. My problem with JLC perpetual calendars is that they're not IWCs. Yeah. The reality in my mind is IWC do the best standard luxury perpetual calendars in the world hands down the way you control the movement via the crown rather than the pushers which this will have at the side of it just knocks everything into a cocked hat in comparison i will be pleased that there is slightly less skeletonization on these hands than in the parmigiani but there still is quite a bit of skeletonization although there is a lot of dials to be able to see through to see stuff so i can kind of understand it a bit more there but if you're looking for a, a perpetual calendar sports watch, to my mind, you're going to IWC and not GLC, which is a real shame because I think I prefer the styling of the GLC, the numeral set, the fonts, the way they space out the numbers and the dates on the their perpetual calendars versus the IWC. I, I think the IWC feels slightly busier than the GLC, but yeah. I just I just can't see past why if you put the two of them together. I mean, the thing is, in the IWC, you've got multiple. You could go Portugueser, you could go Da Vinci, you could go Pilot's Watch. You've got a multiple choices of things you can have perpetual calendars in. I got I to gotta chime in here, and I'm going to agree with David that the principal fault of this watch is the price. The brand in general is going through a pricing identity crisis right now. When I first started getting into this brand, you know, Reversa was just a few grand. You know, your basic master control dress watch was, you know, around the same price with in-house made movement. Super nice. Yes, they had their crazy high-end things, their, you know, gyro tourbillons. And that was one of the beauties of it. It was kind of like Ulysses Nardon in the sense where they had this just great variety of price points and products and things like that. Over the last few years was sort of you know, I don't even not even sure the personality of the people running it. They've wanted to go more conservative and more high end. Hmm. Um, I think we all agree that this watch was half the price. People will be genuinely excited by it. But at this price, there's just not that much to be excited about. It's a nice watch, but it's it's so vastly out of its pricing territory from all of our opinion, apparently, that JLC is going to have a really tough time. It, it's It's not even from a brand perspective, really that high-end enough to command these prices. It would take years of diligent market building, which it hasn't really effectively done in a while. I mean, for me, I, I look at this, I'm like, okay, these are Vacheron prices, right? But this isn't a Vacheron watch. Uh, but it should be, because JLC should be at that level. And they're all the same company. IWC, Vacheron, JLC, just it's the same company. It's priced at... 30,000 in steel and 44,000 with a bit of with, 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 with a gold case. 
Yeah, so but on a rubber strap, steep. it's it's very yeah. high. I mean, I mean, look, you, do you know what kind of Rolex you can get for uh, that? That's I exactly mean, what I was going to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can and, get okay. a day date. Look, let's go to Ome- <laughs> let's go, let's just look at Omega. Basil. I always felt that that JLC was kind of like a little higher end Omega, not too much. And yeah. and you know, think about what you can get Omega <gasps> for these price points. An amazing, an amazing deal. So I don't know. I mean. I think that there's there are some great things that can come out of JLC right now. There's some good designs, but there's that brand and that price identity crisis, which just isn't just hasn't been resolved yet. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my thing with JLC is always that they were able to produce some absolutely amazing sports watches. The stuff they did with Aston Martin, the hmm. back in the day, the Amvoxes were just spectacular. But they seem to have just got stuck into their heritage and, frankly, stayed there. Yeah. with no particular ambition when we've spoken to people from JLC it's like oh they seem surprised that we're like well where's the new thing rather than the reinterpretation of the old thing because they're such a capable company they can make basically anything you know they've got the capabilities to do the most complicated watches and the simplest watches to deal with the most complicated materials and the simplest materials and yet they choose to just be stuck in their heritage now maybe it is just a richemont thing that yeah jlc don't do anything new stick to the heritage we've got a customer base just you post around there we'll let we'll let iwc do the high fluting ceramics and serotaniums and all this kind of stuff add the last wrinkle here mm-hmm. maybe there is the recent news that that hitler's reverso just sold for like a million bucks maybe jlc can't wait for the re-release yeah maybe jlc would be like you know let's actually move away from reverso let's discontinue it for a while there's plenty of them out there let's do some weird stuff and you know when people forgot about that we'll go on like you know what i mean but it's also maybe an opportunity to step away from a little bit and just try something else for a while I did like the JLC statement, which simply said uh, that they issued a statement saying it does not recognize the authenticity of the watch, e.g. nothing to do with them. Please and thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if if you guys if you guys want a 4000 word rent on how JLC is losing their um, creativity, just look up my review of my uh, JLC Master Compressor Navy Seals Diver. A watch I actually purchased in protest because they <laughs> they actually really quietly phased out the master compressor as it as it were. Yeah, in that article I don't simply review that watch from 2009 with a rubber clad titanium bracelet and all the all the other goodness of it, but also address this issue that Rick was just uh, addressing there. I love the first world idea that you protesting is buying a really expensive luxury watch. Yes, you know, in in yielding days, women would be burning their bras and solidarity people would be demonstrating at nuclear missile launch sites and folk would be striking on picket lines for coal miners your form of protest is buying a luxury watch that's just it's it was awesome like four or five years ago and i sold it for the same amount of money i paid for it so i was like it was totally worth it <laughs> oh, good stuff so if you would like to protest at jlc then feel free to go and buy one of these and you can do a hands-on review of it <laughs> so there we go go and check out david's article on the jlc Paris perpetual calendar watch Christopher Ward unveils a 36mm C63 Lander. Okay, so this is an article, obviously on a blog to watch, you can go and read it. But I will start with a comment from Raymond Wilkie, who simply says, I think I've become watch blind. 
does that sum up just where we are in all of these brands producing lots of watches all with colors that actually guys can we just take a take a step back into the world of monochrome for five minutes while we all (sighs) take our sunglasses off at all these brightly colored watches did i tell you about that theory i have that a few years from now someone's going to release like a jet black watch and everyone's gonna be outstanding about how original it is (laughs) (laughs) because we we definitely have this weird cyclical thing with colors and we've seen this throughout history and anyone in the fashion industry what what do they say to you all the time it's a cycle things come back everyone who's been deeply in that fashion industry says this and it becomes part of this issue where there's this hills and valleys with these colors there's like no green and then there's some green and then there's more green and because there's so much green consumers are like i've had it with green i need something else because i don't feel special anymore when it's actually a lot healthier if, if if no one jumped on board if someone really likes green okay do something but if if someone else is doing it then you know, maybe maybe blue or yellow or some other colors for you like the fact that there's this sort of follow the herd mentality contributes to the fact that people get a fatigue for a color and want to move on so again it's you're already seeing it happen because somebody had success with a you know a tiffany blue dial it does not mean release one right away you know what i mean oh it's happening oh i know i really like this sealander from christopher ward i think there is a market for 36 mil watches although as soon as people release 36 mil watches everybody complains that it's not a 38 or a 40 is the name a joke sealander like (laughs) it's sea and land i mean i get it but it's like at some point like just stop trying to be clever with the names like you know what i mean just no, no one's buying this watch for diving no one's thinking well i really need a watch i can take in the sea and the land (laughs) i mean christopher war is sometimes just a little ahead of themselves and i i I, I appreciate what they're trying to do but can they mix it up with a little bit of originality sometimes they get too on board the follow the the herd department that i think it's i think it overshadows some of their values i think it possibly you're right in terms of the watch geek but the fact that they're offering these things for less than 800 dollars i think probably means they're going to sell an absolute shed load uh, of these i think these will shift very well yeah for them. and and it's it's look i i was res- i i've known the brand since basically the founding I, I know a lot about them and things like that what surprises me is that there's actually not more brands like christopher ward yeah mm. christopher ward is obviously known for the whole logo stuff that every five minutes is a new logo coming along i think <laughs> this one that they're settling on which is the crosses uh, <laughs> and a mixture of the swiss and english flag i think works well but my problem is what i can't unsee is that the cross the positive cross is bigger than the negative cross removed from the other side and i can't unsee that that's that disturbs me for some reason gotta have symmetry it's like one of those jigsaw puzzles it doesn't quite you know those kids ones where you put the square and the square hole and the triangle this is messing with my head and that that, i know that that cross will not quite fit in that gap that's left for it but other than that it's a vast improvement on the previous uh, christopher ward stuff but i dare say they'll do something different for their next one 150 meter water resistance 36 mil Aye, it's a good it is a good looking watch it is zeitgeisty as all zeitgeist in terms of the color and the sizes although as i was saying when people produce 36 mil watches everybody wants to be 38 and when people produce 38 mil watches everyone wants to be 36 i don't know frankly what's wrong with people but there we go uh so go and check that out i've had that issue that people are constantly complaining and you know in the in the comments that the size is never right and I, it took me years to realize this, but it's true. It's not the same person. 
So it's like, <laughs> but it sounds like because it's like it's like some commenter is constantly complaining about something. But it, it you it really helps me big time to realize that it's not the same person complaining about <laughs> everything all the time. It's like shoes. It's just shoes. It's everyone has their shoe size, like their watch size, and they want their size, and and that. So a bunch of people have different sizes. So what are they gonna do? Complain for their size? Fair enough. We can all, we can all agree though that Breitling should not have produced the new uh, watch at a forty six mil though. That that's just ridiculous. Nobody needs a forty six mil Breitling until you have a wrist that size and you're like, that looks good for me. Like, why not make the large size shoe? There's those guys out there. So the Rock and Arnie can have that Breitling and they're welcome. I've to met it. Arnold. His wrist is massive. Okay, I totally <laughs> like get it. He's trunk. not he's not wearing big watches because he wants to like. I don't know, compensate. Like he just doesn't want to look like he's wearing a tiny watch. It's it's there's guys you, like that out there. You can be the one to tell Arnie that he's compensating for something. I'd rather not be there. Well, actually, I'd rather would quite like to be there, but at a distance. <laughs> he's not compensating. He just wants to have a watch that fits his wrist. Anyway, go and check out the article on blogtowatch.com. We have with us one of our sponsored postees. Not sure if that's the quite the right word. Barry, who you've heard from before from ProTech, and he's going to tell us about his new Kickstarter. You thought he had stopped at the ProTech 1000, but no, he has quickly followed up with the ProTech 2000, which is live in Kickstarter just now. You can check the show notes for the link. But Barry, why don't you very quickly tell us how did the launch of the ProTech 1000, which was the carbon case utility watch go. First of all, thanks for having me again, Rick. Appreciate it. The Series 1000, the carbon composite dive series, went exceedingly well. We had admittedly a fairly modest target. We broke it in less than a day. It carried on for 30 days and we did pretty well. You know, the reason I did the Kickstarter, I think I told you this, was not to fund the campaign, but to try to cast a wide net and let more people know about what we're doing. And you can't beat the internet when it comes to that. The good news is it seems to have worked. We got orders from 17 countries. And we also got uh, inquiries from a few nations about distributing the brand in those countries. So as I said, cast a wide net. That was our hope and it seemed to work. And so the essential difference between the ProTech 1000 and the ProTech 2000, is it case material or are there lots of other differences? The primary thing is going to be case material and strap. One, one of the comments that we've made is that there's a lot of materials that dive watches are made in whether it is a carbon composite, whether it's a polymer, a steel, a titanium, a ceramic, you know, there's a lot of different materials that different companies have executed dive watches in. And certainly our carbon composite is, you know, the, the biggest seller I had in my prior brand, and I expect it to be the biggest seller in this brand as well. And, and that's primarily, I guess, for its tactical look and lightweight. But for some, Rick, you know, a dive watch is steel. I mean, there, there are people that just, that's what they think. A dive watch shouldn't be anything else. It should be steel. So it's, you know, tough as nails. It can handle the beating that invariably comes with being on a dive boat and lugging your tanks around. And, you know, it's just a, it's a fairly active endeavor. And, and so 
people just sort of seem comfortable with steel as as a material in dive watches. So that's why we launched the second Kickstarter on our steel dive watches. It still has many of the same features, sapphire crystals with AR coatings. We're still using a 10-year movement from Citizens Biota Company, which of course is bulletproof. The, the two other differences I'd highlight are because it's steel, the bezel is now 120 click instead of 60 click, really tight as a drum. And stock, the watches come on leather straps, and that might seem like it doesn't make much sense, but these are waterproof leather. So, you know, they're treated for use in water and conventional leather starts kind of stiff and breaks in. But if you get get it wet, it gets brittle and it'll crack. Well, these start soft, get softer in water, it molds to your wrist and it will not crack. And you're still using the tritium tubes for illumination? Oh yeah, well that's the hallmark of this brand. It's our key feature throughout the brand. And it's in the name, you know, ProTech, made for professionals in the, in the world of first response and tech for the illumination technology. So since it's in the name, it would be hard to walk away from that. Good stuff. And you can find these in Kickstarter. What is the Kickstarter price? I think it's uh, somewhere in the 375 range. It's 395 according to the article. So there you go. Rick, thank you so much for checking out the article. I appreciate that. It's 395. <laughs> That's down from the 550 that will be the suggested retail as we continue down the road. And with the first 100 purchases, you get a, our new t-shirt, you got our new baseball cap, and we throw in a rubber dive strap as well. So you can mix it up if you wish and change from the waterproof leather good good and we have approximately a week to go on the kickstarter campaign about 10 or 11 days left i believe good stuff well you can check that out and everything barry's got to say what is next from you barry because i'm guessing you're not stopping at the 2000 can we expect a 3000 that's so funny you mentioned it and <laughs> perfectly sequential yes we will have a 3000 series and that is yet a different case material that's done in titanium. And it is basically a staple of the watch world since World War One. the venerable field watch that we've executed, of course, with our tritium illumination and done it in titanium case. And once again, using a waterproof leather strap. All of this inventory, by the way, has shipped to us. We are underway and we will begin shipping uh, within 10 days. Very good. Well, you can keep an eye on a blog to watch.com for more on the ProTech 3000 when it arrives. And you can check out Barry's website directly, which is protechwatch.com. So go and check out there or via the link in the show notes. Thanks for joining us, Barry. Oh, my pleasure, Rick. Thanks for having me. Ariel, lead us through your hands-on review of the Speak Marin. I got to see this watch actually at a retailer. I felt so bad because at Watches and Wonders, we just accidentally missed to go to their booth. And this was like the watch. The watch's name is Ripples, which reminds me of Pringles chips. I don't know why. Uh -huh. I just think it's yeah. funny because it actually has, you know, Pringles have ripples in it. So in my mind, my code name for this watch is Pringles. <laughs> <laughs> it's speak marin's attempt at having you know a watch with an integrated bracelet and it does that it it reminds me of a few other watches i've seen and i and i talk about that i think there's definitely inspiration it's not a bad watch it's definitely weird and what i like about it is they really try to do something interesting and different and and but also like merge some familiar things so from like a 
uh, a creative direction perspective, it's interesting. The dial reflects light in kind of a fun way. And I think the dial is probably one of the best things about the watch. It, it refracts light. So it, it's actually kind of fun to look at as it kind of you move it around. Same with the large polished center links in the bracelet. Uh, it's a micro rotor automatic movement. I think the challenge is that watches like this came out with like, you know, everyone can't keep enough of these in stock. So as long as you make a watch with an integrated bracelet, they'll sell to somebody. I think that era is, is kind of leaving a little bit. I think it was very temporary. So what I'm curious about is, you know, at the price point, about $20,000, given the brand, who are these going to speak to? But it, it's a cool watch, but sort of weird in the way that I remember kind of in the early 2000s and, and before 2010, where just very strange stuff would come out that was cool, but not like super commercially, you know, clean, like you see from the likes of, you know, Gerard Perigo and Tag Heuer these days. What is the organization of Speak Marin at the moment? Because Peter's no longer there and is no longer called Peter Speak Marin. So who yeah. owns this company and who's actually doing the work in the background? I mean, look, it's based in Switzerland right now. There's a different ownership. I don't know personally all the people that make the decisions so i think they're just trying they, they there's a nice look um and they're just trying to figure out what to do and, and and there's a lot of brands sort of stuck in this they have an interesting history the founder is sort of no longer around and they have to create a new direction and that's a very difficult thing to do without a very strong and, and courageous creative force and courageous because you have to make decisions having no idea if anyone's going to buy it i like it but i'm not sure i should it's it, it is it is a bit discombobulating as a watch mm. Uh, you're you're the target market yeah clearly i I wonder whether actually it's a bit like when you first see the octo finissimo you look at it you go nah that doesn't work and then it grows on you and then you go actually you know what that does work i wonder whether this is in that genre of watch that when we see this with a few more iterations and a few more tweaks and changes that actually the weird placement of the sub-seconds will suddenly become, oh, that's pretty cool. And the kind of references, the funny handset, etc., will will settle. Or whether actually it'll always look like it's a little bit of everything rolled into one that doesn't quite hang together. I'm, I'm undecided. So it'll be interesting. Do we think that they will continue this design theme? Is this, a, is this the launch of a range or... Is this just a, a limited run and then they'll move on to something else? Oh, I'm pretty sure there's going to be other ones. I mean, the name obviously is like, we didn't have time to think of one yet, right? They haven't <laughs> even named. I mean, the name of the case is LA City. So it's the Ripples mm-hmm. watch in the LA City case. Like, obviously, that's, that's so gonna- 90s. So going to be smoothed out. You could ch- put a bunch of different dials on that. You could, you could do it in different materials. Uh, you could polish it in different ways. So I think that there's still going to be life. I don't see them having engineered a whole case and bracelet just to make a few pieces like this. And they mentioned that they're making like a limit of about a thousand a year. So they're definitely going to take their time. It's not a limit. It's not a limit edition, but they're not planning on making a huge amount of them. It's a decent watch. Again, it's sort of weird looking, but I think it grows on you. And honestly, that's a good thing. It sort of calls attention to you. And when people want attention. It's, it's good to have something a little, a little yeah. avant-garde. Anyway, go and check out these photos from a hands-on review by Ariel of the Speak Marine Ripples watch. That is us for this week. The end is nigh. Our time has come. Time together has come to an end. Gentlemen, what are you up to in the next week? 
I've got more watches to shoot, resumes to look at, um, and planning <laughs> for being gone for basically the second half of August. Okay, I when whenever I advertise for jobs, I confess we do I do get some absolute screamer application forms and which are like, why did you apply for this job? You you don't just have limited qualifications, you have no relevant experience, interest at all. Oh yeah. And you've just mm. clicked on a button and sent something in. Now obviously you've advertised for a job based in california where is the furthest so far that someone has applied from thinking that they can do this job mongolia because <laughs> that's always the one i get you get someone from the timbuktu say yeah i can do your job for you wait a minute you live a lot in africa which is surprising uh-huh. sorry those in nigeria that want to be my assistant just a, a bit too far for you know ever being able Abandoned to come, hope. come and do teamwork I used to work in professional football and whenever we sacked the manager and then you were looking for a new manager for a professional football team, you would get, and and the way that football, and actually in some cases it still works this way, is that football clubs use fax machines. They're one of the few industries left that are dependent on the fax machine for registering when things actually happen. And so you would get endless faxes of people applying for the football manager's job. And you used to get some hysterical applications. You know, their experience was literally playing the computer game football manager or they managed their kids under 15 team whatever it was. So there we go. So David, what's the most extraordinary job you've ever applied for? Uh, I don't know. There was this watch website that I was reading for years and I kind of wanted to <laughs> be around watches and start writing about watches and taking pictures of them. So I guess it that was would a be good it. application, I have to say. Thank you. So when Hodinki rejected you, you ended up at a blog to watch. Is that what you're saying? Oh. It's, it's funny you should say that because <laughs> it's funny that you say that because hand on heart, Ariel was the, was the only one uh, that I sent the application to. Literally nobody else. You crawler, you. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true because because th- this was the only site that I that resonated with me over the course of those two years when I was just studying watches. Excellent. Well, if you want to apply for the job of assistant, check the show notes. Or if you just want to send us a message, check out the show notes on the website. Check us all out on Instagram and indeed download the Be Real app and see if you can find us all. We will be trying to figure out how it works. Uh, so that's it from us thank you for joining us please leave us a review on whatever podcast player you're listening to us on uh yeah cheerio thanks everyone cheers Cheers.